ask for help. Um, and even ask God for help. Uh, as, as, as Anne Lamont often says, is she says, when you, when you pray, uh, you, you have almost three words. Please, sorry, and help. <laughs> and please, Lord, help me with this. Um, Lord, I'm sorry for missing this. And man, help, 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 help. And I think this community has the chance to continue to come to Christ daily this permission to need. And when you look at this Lord's Prayer, you have to understand it's profoundly spiritual. A spiritual need to go, where am I going to find my sustenance? Is it in what I do, what I produce, how much money I make, where I live, where my kids go to school? Or is it actually in the fact of Christ? And I love what Bria shared about that. It's in Christ. It's in Christ alone. But I think for many of us, when we gather together, we get to just remind us how to attune, attach, and attempt, and how we can have this permission to need. But then it goes to a whole different direction. In Matthew chapter 6, it says this, and I just think it's one of those verses that you could read and just kind of skip by, skip past, but it's all about forgiveness. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, think about this. You are living in Roman occupation, and Rome wants your land. Because the more land they have, the more power that they have. So the way that they do this is that they tax you to a point that you can't actually live here anymore. Welcome to Illinois. That's right. Welcome to Illinois. <laughs> but it's crazy. I remember moving to Arizona. In the one shining light of Arizona, I was like, why do I have 10,000 more dollars? I don't understand. I was like, oh, that was property tax. <laughs> wow. Okay. So this is what they would do. They would get to a point of just taxing to a point where people were like, we can't do this. And they would walk away and the debt would be so high. And then Rome would take over their land. And, and you have to understand, too, um, the ancient Near East, there were five gospels. Five gospels. And some of you are going to be like, you're a heretic. But hear me. When you walk the land... In Israel, they'll tell you that there's five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the land. And when you walk the land, you experience the land, the other four Gospels make sense. If you lose your land, and your land has been deeply, deeply tied to family members and generations and generations and generations, I've sat with families who can show me their papers that go back to the Ottoman Empire. They hold it with such high regard. This is why refugees, if you ever see a necklace and it's a key, because the key represents the, the key to the door of the home that's been passed down to pass down to pass down. So remember the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is speaking. He goes, you know what I'm, what I'm hoping for? I'm hoping for tangibly that people don't find themselves crushed under the weight of debt. And no shade to Chase Bank, but when your, your, your credit card is called the Freedom Card, it's just what kind of world are we living in? But this isn't, a money, this isn't a message about money. Because Jesus wasn't just talking tangibly about debts. And you realize that Acts chapter 2, if you're familiar with that passage, 42 through 46, is the embodiment of the Lord's Prayer. Just read that passage this week and see. Bread. Prayer people selling things and giving it so people didn't have debts. 
They physically embodied the Lord's Prayer. It was profoundly tangible and physical, but it's also profoundly spiritual. And what I want to do today is I want to break this down for you. Because this one verse has been a lifeline to me in the last few years. I want, to, I want you to understand this because when you see this word forgive us our debts, the word forgive in Greek is the word aphemi. Let me hear you say aphemi. Aphemi. And aphemi is a fascinating word because literally it, it, it means to release and send away. To release and send away. So this whole idea of forgive us our debts, it's the sense of release and send away in the original language, which you might think, okay, well, where did that originate from? You've got to go back to Leviticus chapter 16. In Leviticus chapter 16, which I know every one of you was reading this morning, because who doesn't like numbers in Leviticus? But Leviticus chapter 16 is all about the holiest day to the Hebrew nation. The holiest day. There isn't a day that is holier than what we know as the day of atonement, the moment where you become at one, atone, with God, with yourself, and with your neighbor. And it was known as Yom Kippur. And actually, Yom Kippur, for the, if any of you have friends of the Hebrew tradition, it's Tuesday. This coming Tuesday will be Yom Kippur. It will be the holiest day. If you have a friend who's Jewish and you see them on Tuesday, just happy Yom Kippur. And they'll be like, whoa, you know? And you're like, yeah, I do. A Femi. And then, then they'll, they'll blow their mind right there. <laughs> but Yom Kippur was this amazing day where you'd have Moses' brother, Aaron. And Aaron would, like, get up in all of the royal garb. He would dress to the nines. He was ready to go. And on this day, he was going to enter in and have an experience with, with God and have an experience where they would have a, a bull, a young bull, a, a young ram, and two goats. And the bull would be sacrificed for Aaron and his family to make sure that he was pure and holy as he entered into the tent of meeting where the presence of God was. And then you would have a moment where this ram gets sacrificed. You would have a moment where all of the sins of the nation would find themselves being placed on these two goats. One goat would die, and then one goat would be released out into the wilderness. I want you to see this, because this is at the heart of what a Femi is. Leviticus chapter 16, the third book of the Bible, says this. From the Israelite community, he's to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement at one mint for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots, which is like dice back in the day. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Now if you jump over 
uh, to, to verse 20. Look what it says. When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. So, so this, is, this is how God had arranged it. See, God understood something. He understood the power of shame before Brene Brown ever started writing. He understood what shame could do to the mental health and the emotional health and the spiritual well-being. He understood what shame could do to the body. And what he did was he created this day, this moment, where everyone could look back and go, I remember everything that I ever did was confessed and put onto this goat, a live goat. And then one random person in the community had the task of walking this live goat out into the wilderness, releasing it and sending it away. Early on in ministry, when I lived in Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan, we, we decided to do this for our, our church. And we really wanted to embody it for like a Good Friday service, thinking that Yom Kippur really and Passover, they were like these moments of this incredible picture of what Christ did for us. And so what we did is we had all of the community walk up to this live goat and they began to kind of write out their sins and put it down. And we had this guy who was dressed up and he was confessing all of these sins over the goat. It was long, it was beautiful, it was profound. And then when the goat left the building, the whole room erupted. It's like our sins are being released and sent away. I would have done that today, but the problem is two days later, this woman called me and she was angry. She's like, what did you do on Sunday? And I'm like, I was just at church. Were you there? No, I wasn't at church. What did you do? And I'm like, well, our people just came up and we, we just kind of wrote out the stuff that we're carrying and we, we just kind of placed them on this goat as the symbol. And I start teaching Yom Kippur. And she goes, well, that was my goat. And I was like, oh, that's okay. Yeah, it was just a prop. It's, I mean, nothing. And it's dead. And I was like, what do Grand Rapids sin look like? Like that just killed a goat. So I, 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 I was like, I'm so sorry. We ended up having to buy her a new goat. It was crazy. Um, but I, I think about this, the power, the power of what we have. And many of us, we just, we go through our life and we just carry it. Uh, tonight, I leave for Portugal. And uh, yeah, some, some people like Portugal. And uh, there's, a, there's a trail in Portugal called the Camino. And the Camino is an ancient spiritual practice where people will walk this journey. And everyone who's told me about the Camino has told me one thing, travel lightly. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, no, no, seriously. What you think you need, you don't actually need. Like travel as lightly as possible. And I'm like, okay. And so I remember like getting this backpack, filling it up, and I was sharing it with a friend. And he's like, you have way too much stuff. You don't need that. I'm like, well, I might need some silverware. You don't need silverware. 
I might need like that. You don't need that. I might need this Michigan gear. You don't need that. You don't travel lightly. And, I, and I've been thinking so much about this is um, that you really on your back, you want 15 pounds to 20 pounds tops. We'll do 20 some miles a day. Um, we're not going to do the whole 500 miles, but we'll do about 150, hopefully. And, and, and this whole process has begun because of a word that someone spoke to me almost five years ago. I was 37. I was three weeks from turning 38. And a guy pulled me aside and he said, Steve, uh, can I tell you what my mentor told me? I'm like, yeah. And he's like three, four years older than me. He said, my mentor told me that the hardest four years in a man's life is from 38 through 42. And I was like, bro, I turned 38 in three weeks. Don't put that on me. And he goes, no, no, that's, it's, it's, I'm like, why? He goes, well, usually you come to the second half of life and you realize you aren't everything that you thought you would be. So your ego gets assaulted. Um, you usually lose a parent in that time. Um, financially, you're not as where you thought you would be. He starts going down a list and I was like, stop talking. Do not speak this over me. And I, I just start hearing this. I'm like, man, this is crazy. On my 38th birthday, that weekend, I'm given the opportunity, and it's announced to the world that it will be my dream job. I get this opportunity of a lifetime, everything I had been working for, this, this was like it. And within nine months, I was no longer there. And all of a sudden, just thrust into this moment. All of a sudden, the way some of that stuff went down, I had letters and emails that were written to me. And in my brokenness, you know what I did? I printed them all out. And I would read them. I would read what people said about me. Because I was so good as a kid as using everyone's negative energy to challenge and channel to show and prove that I was better than them on the basketball court. And I just, I was like carrying this stuff. Within six months, my dad dies. And that just rocked me. And God had done so much work there, but it just rocked me. I started looking at my life and have no idea what the future holds. It was so different than what I thought. I start untangling all of these pieces. I found myself in the Indianapolis airport, and I'm going through TSA. And I had just been at this one church multiple weeks in a row teaching my guts out. And God had really, really moved. And I go through TSA and I get flagged. And this isn't any shot. If you work with the TSA, you did nothing wrong. But I got flagged. So they pulled me aside. And as they started to pull me aside, they said, hey, we're going to have to pat you down. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so I like take off my hat and nothing in your hat. And they start just patting me down. And I, I, don't, I don't know, and I've, I've never really talked about this publicly, but I don't know if you ever had a moment where all of a sudden something that you had stuffed years earlier just came to the surface. And in this moment, I'm getting patted down, and it takes me back to when I was nine years old. And I, I start having a massive um, panic attack. 
And you know what you don't do from the TSA when they are patting you down? <laughs> Is try to walk away. And they're like, sir, sir. And I'm like, I have to go. I have to go. And they're like, your plane, we don't care about. We have to pat you down. And I'm like, I, and I'm, I'm literally as a three on the Enneagram, wondering who's watching and who's filming. I'm super scared about that. I'm internally being reminded of what experiences happened when I was nine, and I'm having this moment, and I'm shutting down. And finally, they're done, and I sit down. I call my wife. I call one of my best friends, and I call my counselor. And all this stuff, I just started really realizing over the last number of years, man, I... I have not traveled lightly. I've just been carrying stuff. One of the gifts that God gave, gave, gave to the Hebrew nation was this process to go, hey, remember this moment once a year where all of the sins, and sin sometimes gets a bad rap, but really what that word means is when you live less than, every part that where you felt less than God's best gets placed on this animal and it gets led into the wilderness and it's released and sent away. I, I, I don't know about you, but I just wonder, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a coworker, Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's some aspect of your life. Maybe it's a spouse. I, I, maybe it's a former person from another life. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's some situation. But here's my honest question. How many of us are literally in today traveling lightly? And the gift of the Lord's prayer was, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted or who have trespassed, who have wronged us, who have like walked into our yard and just dropped a bomb and walked away. And what often happens for many of us is we just put it on our back and we just carry it and we don't talk about it and we just keep going. And you know what's amazing? Is like the great book says, the body keeps score. And, and, and scientists are discovering this, that most of what worry does in our body, ulcers, are finding levels of cancer that come because of just unprocessed guilt and shame and resentment. And we just carry it, carry it, carry it. And at the heart, at the heart of God and the heart of the gospel and the heart of the announcement of good news is that you were never supposed to walk that way. You actually could travel lightly in a world that is caring and is escaping with whatever they want to buy and whatever they want to lose themselves in and whatever they want to do is that we could actually be the kind of people who could learn the art of traveling lightly and actually walk in freedom and walk in forgiveness. So the question is, how do you do it? How do you actually forgive? And you have to understand that, that forgiveness is a solo sport. Reconciliation takes more people. But forgiveness, forgiveness is on you. It's a gift for you. It's a gift to like cleanse yourself from the negativity, the shame, the energy, whatever you want to call it, the sin, whatever person did to you. Forgiveness isn't for them. It's for you. It's for your temple. It's for your body. It's for your psyche. It's for your soul. It's for your relationship with Christ.
And oftentimes, we actually hold it. And you know what I've come to realize? Is that the people who say things or do something to you, we all hope that they're going to come back and say, hey, I'm really sorry. But do they ever? No. Very few people have the courage to do that. And when they do that, that leads to reconciliation if they can own their stuff and move forward. But most of the times, we're left holding the bag. And the question becomes, how will you respond? And that's when God says, this is why I taught you about Ephemi, is that you can learn the practice to release it and send it away. And some of you, I know your stories, and I can say I've watched you practice this, but I also know my story that for many, 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 many years, I just was like hoping and praying and longing, and all of a sudden, but I was just carrying it. That person's not thinking about me at all, but I am replaying, retelling, reliving, re-traumatizing myself with that same old story and hoping that I can travel lightly and walk in freedom. Anybody else? Or am I the only crazy person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do we do this? Paul takes this idea of a Femi, he takes it a little bit farther when he writes this. And I want you to understand because sometimes people go, well, yeah, I get forgiveness, but I, want you, I just need to spend a moment on what happens with unprocessed forgiveness. What happens when you don't do the work? What happens when you don't have the courage to look at this situation, circumstance, and actually begin the process of letting it go? There are a ton of terrible books on forgiveness, and some of them are really good. They're just titled terribly. I don't like when people say, just forgive and forget. Not helpful. Forgiveness is a process. And for some of you who have been profoundly wounded or abused or struggled or neglected or abandoned, it is a process. So be kind to yourself as you walk through this. But what you have to understand is if you don't do this work, that unprocessed forgiveness will turn into something. And it will do something. It will begin to work against your calling, your soul, your heart, your mind, your body. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. This is Paul writing. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And in Paul's mind, unwholesome talk comes from past hurts and wounds. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. And malice is just every form of evil. And sometimes we just kind of go through this list and we're like, oh, all right, brawling and rage and anger and malice and gossip. All of those words are like, yeah, yeah, we just, behavior modification, don't do that. But this is, this is what Paul's trying to get at, is you have to be kind and compassionate. And the word compassion is the plural form of the word womb. It literally means to be wombish or care for what God has birthed into this world. So be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. And here's what Paul's trying to get at, is that if you don't do the work of forgiving and being kind and compassionate and just beginning to let that person release and send that person away, it's going to lead to brawling, rage, anger, malice, gossip, unwholesome talk. For me, it's oftentimes when I can find myself just in this gossip 
or I can find myself just like getting so frustrated, it's a clue. Is there something that has been unprocessed of a hurt or a pain, some trigger that just makes me have to go deeper with Jesus? Paul takes it even farther to start off chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, and he says these, this words. He says, follow God's example. This is what discipleship and apprenticeship in Jesus is. It's following the example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That, that's it. Like our, uh, this is our job, is to do that work. And when we talk about the cruciform life, the cruciform life is actually learning to follow God's example or to follow the way of Christ. And it's hard. And it's difficult. And it's a struggle. Now, this word that Paul uses for forgive is the word charismai. Let me hear you say charismai. And it means this. The grace you received, you freely give away. So what's amazing is Paul understands forgiveness post-death, burial, and resurrection as charis, which is the Greek word for grace, and zomai, which is what you've received, you freely give away. He puts those words together and he, and he brings you back to the cross. Jesus is reimagining Yom Kippur and Paul's like, oh my goodness, this whole movement is all about the grace you received, you freely give away. Because charismite will always bring you back to the foot of the cross. Every time someone wrongs you, and that happens every single day, multiple times a day. You have a chance to go right back to the foot of the cross. But for many of us, we often don't like going there. Because in that moment, we have to remember what Christ did for us. I have to remember what Christ did for And it's sometimes more easy and familiar for me not to go to the foot of the cross, but just to carry more weight. And I think God's going, that's not what I dreamed you to be. The whole gospel is this picture that should lead to freedom and love and peace and grace and transformation. That's what the gospel does. But for many of us, we've just become accustomed to just caring and caring and caring. And friends, that's not good news. It's actually bad news. So let me just take this even farther. What happens when you choose not to forgive someone? Like, do you find yourself becoming the best version of you? What happens when, when you don't let that person off the hook? And what, what's amazing is unprocessed forgiveness become the seeds to bitterness, become the seeds to rage, all of the stuff that, that Paul talks about. But let's take this even farther. When you practice the art of forgiving another person, you know what you're actually doing? You're cultivating the soul of your heart to be ready if and when that person comes and asks for forgiveness or begins to own what they did or begins to want to enter into a process of honest reconciliation. And this is why we have to be the kind of people who do our work so that we can be ready. There are five people in my story, five people in my story that I have to do the work 
every single day, if I have a memory or something pops up in my head, that I have to go, no, 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 no. Charismai, interfemi. And the reason is, because I know. I know if that old tape, old story, old pain takes over, I will not be a healthy version of me. And at times, I haven't been a healthy version of me. A lot of times. But the healthiest version is actually when I can go, I'm doing my work, whether or not they choose to come or not, I'm doing my work. So that I can walk and travel lightly in freedom with more grace, more peace, more love, more freedom, more transformation. But some of us wonder, well, what happens if we don't forgive? Right underneath the Lord's Prayer, the next verse that Jesus offers up, and most people never teach this according to the Lord's Prayer, are these words. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And this is why Rich Mullen says, Christians love highlighters. So they can highlight verses they like and not highlight verses they don't like. I like verse 14. I cannot stand verse 15. It's not my words, though. It's the Bible. And this is the whole process because God wanted and Jesus wanted us to know the seriousness. You can't be everything he created and intended you to be if you're carrying stuff you were never meant to carry. Because it's actually antithetical to the gospel. And when you actually understand the gospel, you go, I didn't deserve this, and yet you somehow went and died for me. And the cruciform life is to say, you know what? How can I do that for you? So how do you do it? How do you actually do this? And so for three and a half years, we lived in the desert, and I had a short breath prayer that I would pray often. Because I need actual props. I need help. I don't necessarily always know how to do this. And so I kind of combined those words, charismai and ephemi, and it kind of became this phrase, cross, release, send it away. If I think about the cruciform life, it is cross, release, send it away. And for some of you, I handed you a cross when we were in the Jonah series and I was talking about cognitive dissonance and that's literally what forgiveness is, is cognitive dissonance because there's something inside of me that just goes, it's not right, it's not fair, they deserve to be punished, they deserve all of the things. I don't deserve that, but they do. <laughs> and yet when I find myself just coming back to go cross, release, send it away, it's not, it's not reconciliation. It's not just forgiving and forgetting. It's just bringing me back to the cross and just saying, you know what? I'm not going to give them control of this moment. I'm going to release them and send that away. I'll send it to Columbus, Ohio or Tuscaloosa, Alabama. <laughs> I'm going to send it away. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to carry it. I'm not going to carry it. I'm going to send it back to the cross. I'm going to send it back to the wild, to the wilderness. I'm going to send it away. And friends, this is, this is what we get to do. Every single day when someone just wounds you or hurts you or says something or, or gives you that look, you can stew on it. You can villainize that person. You can start telling yourself stories about that person. Or you can stop and practice the cruciform life and go, cross, release, send it away. 
peace and freedom and grace because nothing is going to disrupt this. Not their brokenness, not their toxic behavior, not their evil. Do I pray for their actual confession and coming into the light? And all? Yes, but that's not going to control this and derail this anymore. And that's the freedom that's offered into us when we say cross, release, send it away. The reason it hurts so much that when my dad passed was because um, my dad was my adopted father. When I was born, I was given the name Stephen Charles Bourne. I got adopted, and when I was four, my middle name changed. I wanted it to be Poncharella, um, but my mom said no. Um, it became Steve Ryan Carter, and um, my dad was, he probably, and he, he said this before he passed, he would be on the spectrum. He was a really, really great numbers guy, really, really great business guy. He just didn't know how to show emotion that wasn't anger and emotional abuse, pre-Christ. So I, I, I learned how to read a room because I had to for my survival as a child. My dad only said three things to me, something funny, something wise, or he cussed me out as a kid. First time he told me he loved me was after my final high school basketball game. And I remember when I was 32 years old, he sent me an email because I didn't do something to the way that he thought I should have done it. And he blasted me in three pages. So much so, I shared it with two of my best friends and they were like, what? You've said things about your childhood, but reading this, what are you gonna do? And I'm like, I'm a grown man and I can't be talked to this way. So I opted out. And I, I prayed. I prayed that someday my dad would showcase a level of humility and he would somehow respond. And while I was in Charleston, South Carolina, I believe it was 2015, I was prepping for a sermon that I had to do and I got notified from my dad. And he said, hi, Steve, I'm sorry about the condition of our relationship and I'm sorry for what I've done to get us here. I'm ashamed that I've behaved badly. If a day comes when we can meet for coffee as two guys who want to be more like Jesus, I would enjoy that. And I read that and I was like, what? This guy never showed humility. And in that was the first time I experienced a level of him, not with power and not with anger, but just showing a level of humility. He'd come to faith a few years earlier and I wrote back, I read this email in Starbucks yesterday on vacation and my eyes instantly watered up. This is something my heart truly desires, but at the same time, you need to know that the email you sent me 18 months broke something inside me. I spent the past year and a half in counseling, working through your words and other past things from my story, and then the picture cut off because I don't know how to do that. Um, <laughs> but my dad and I started meeting in Michigan City once a month. I would drive up, he'd drive down from Grand Rapids. Slowly but surely, God began to reconcile. It would not have happened if I didn't do the work of practicing that forgiveness. I didn't have the cross release, send it away language, but that was it. And when I saw the miracle of that transforming, and I can believe that there are more to come, but I gotta be ready, just as I pray that that other person or other people are ready. So let me take this just a little bit farther and then we'll be done. Can I ask you just an honest question? Who do you need to forgive? Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. 
Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's an ex. I don't know. Who, who do you need to forgive? And here's the other piece. I've had to tell myself this. Some of you are like, I don't need to forgive anybody. You might be living too safe of a life. Because we should, be, we should be rubbing shoulders with people who are wildly different than us. So much so that we're like, whoa, 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 that's, that's, that's like, that's getting close to like my yard. Whoa, what do I do with this? Cross release, send it away. The more that you find yourself just engaging with people that are different, the more that you're like, whew, wow. And the more that we grow into the cruciform life, the more that we're going to rub shoulders with people that are just different. And the more that we begin to practice this, whew, this is just changes. For some of us, we have low-grade anger. It controls us. It's unprocessed forgiveness, resentment. Unprocessed forgiveness. So when you think about forgiveness, just think about three words. Who, what, and why. Who is it? And here's the easy thing. In this day and age, it's easy to blame an institution. Well, that school or that church, they hurt me. Institution didn't hurt you. People did. So give them a name. Who hurt you? Name that person. And what did they do? And why did it hurt so bad? When you know that, you can bring that to the cross, release, send it away, and it begins to do something in you. It, it, it begins just to go, yep, I'm going to release this person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them off the hook because I know what, what Jesus did for me. doesn't mean I'm not going to pray for reconciliation and the truth. It doesn't mean I'm not going to hope that that person comes forward and confesses all that stuff, but I'm going to do the hard work of cross and release and send it away because I'm not going to give any time or energy to toxic past wounds. In front of you, you have communion. And I'd love for you to, to pick it up. I didn't. But if you wouldn't mind just, just grabbing this for a second. If you don't have one, feel free. You can raise your hand and Sandy would love to give you one. Um, outside of forgiveness, the second hardest thing in Christendom is opening these things properly. Okay, so do not open the top first or then you got to drink first. Open, flip it over, smaller side. But think about this. Here's what I want you to think about. Paul, Paul writes about this, and he, he says, hey, if you've got an issue with someone, don't receive communion. Isn't that fascinating? Because if you, if you have this sense of cross, release, send it away. If you have this understand, understanding of charismite, you're like, oh. And I think for so many years, I just rushed into communion. I went for a whole season where I didn't even receive communion for months. Because I had to get this thing right. And maybe for some of you, you're like, I can't do it today. But what's so beautiful is when you recognize the cross, the release, and what was sent away for you, then you have the chance to go, okay, I want that for another person. We're not there yet. We're not one yet. We're, okay, at least I can say in this present moment, I forgive them, then, then receive this. But if you're like, I want them to die, don't abuse the Lord's Supper. And I know in a world of grace, like, oh, just, just eat this. Seriously, it doesn't taste that good. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not like, oh, man, that grape juice. 
It's what it symbolizes though. What it symbolizes, man, I understand this and I want, I want to make sure that what's checked in me, I can give that away. So if you're, if you're there and you're wanting in this season to just travel lightly and in freedom, I just invite you just to open the smaller side with the bread. And I love that they refer to this as the, as the body of Christ, to feed us so that we can embody the way of Christ and grace and peace and forgiveness. If that's what you want today, as you receive and eat. And then if you open up the top, the juice represents just this, this cup and a picture of a new covenant. That from this day forward, we can walk in a new way, our sins being forgiven so that we can go and follow God's example and forgive others. And somehow that becomes a fragrant offering. That becomes the sound and the smell of a Weber grill wherever we go. It just smells good and right. And if that's what you desire today, may you drink. Cross, release, send it away. Would you stand and I'll close by us reading together the Lord's Prayer. I didn't hit one passage. And the one passage is the temptation. Deliver us from the temptation. And this will be the shortest teaching ever. The deliverance of the temptation is that you wouldn't actually embody the Lord's Prayer. You would fight all the temptation to not forgive. You'd fight all the, the temptation to have the need to succeed as, as Bria taught, but you'd have this permission to need from Christ and let him be enough. And you'd have this desire to have his will be done in Elgin as it is in heaven. And that you'd fight that temptation, just do it in your own strength. And so my brothers and sisters, I'll read, let's read this together and then I'll give you a blessing and then we'll be good to go. Let's read this together on the count of three. One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Would you mind putting your hands out for a blessing? My brothers and sisters of Forest City, Elgin, may we embody the cruciform life this week. When someone looks at us sideways, gossips, and we find out or wrongs us, may we not choose anger or malice or rage or brawling or going to Twitter, but may we, may we, may we choose the gospel. May we embody, cross, release, send it away. And may we travel lightly this week in freedom, in grace, and in peace. I love you, friends. I'll be thinking of you as I hike the Camino, praying for you. And uh, come back next week. Eric Parks will be teaching. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. Much love, grace, and peace.